Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I love it. I love having our most powerful show of respect uh, for the people who are our most powerful um, first line defense against this virus. I love it. We'll be talking about it as well. Aaron, have a great night. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to prime time. Is the worst behind us? Now, Trump said that, and he will be right, but only if we do the right things right now. And here's the problem. The right things are the hard things. And we haven't seen this president and his pals do well with making hard calls up to this point. Heck, the head of the coronavirus task force, the vice president, didn't even wear a mask at the Mayo Clinic. Why not? He has an answer. It's even more surprising than what he did. Another surprise, are we gonna run out of meat? We're gonna test the situation going on in the country right now and the president's remedy. We also have the governor of Ohio here to test his call to reopen in part on Friday. Can he test and trace enough? We'll see. And we must remember one of our best who was lost to the silent killer in this pandemic. We all mourn when a healthcare hero is lost because we are one in this. What do you say? Let's get after it. The president is not only recognizing the need for testing now, he also gave you some key insights today. Well, it will go down to zero, ultimately. If you test, you're going to show many more cases. It will be at the the appropriate time. It will be down to zero. Now, first of all, you have to remember, Trump told you that COVID would be gone by now. All right. There is no science behind his suggestions. But you know that uh, already at this point, or I hope you do. But there's a key part of that statement that you may miss. He just told you why he ducked testing for so long, and they did duck it. More testing means more cases identified. Trump did not like the idea of showing how fast COVID was spreading, seeing how he was calling it a hoax and saying it was going to go away and just be a dozen or so cases. Now, we have to be careful not just to throw barbs and play gotcha. No, no. We have to talk about it so we don't repeat it, okay? New models are projecting thousands more lives may be claimed by states if they reopen before they're ready. Florida has a stay-home order that expires Friday. The governor there, Governor DeSantis, talked reopening plans with Trump today and hit back at critics, uh, saying he waited too long initially to shut things down. You look at some of the most draconian orders that have been issued in some of these states and compare Florida in terms of our hospitalizations per 100,000, in terms of our fatalities per 100,000. I mean, you go from D.C., Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, you name it, Florida's done better. 
Hmm. I wonder if that list of states is also accurate in terms of all the kids he sent back from spring break after letting them party down in a stupid way in his own state. I wonder if those states were all affected by that better draconian. Well, is that really the right way to be talking about the only thing that made a difference here? Let's take the situation to Ohio's governor, Republican Mike DeWine. DeSantis, as you just heard, threw some shade at his state as well. Always good to have you on primetime, sir. I hope you and the family are healthy. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. How you doing? Uh, better than I deserve. Uh, the family's doing great. We are among the lucky ones. No question about it. My wife and my son powered through in a way that I could have only imagined. I, as we all uh, suspected, am the weak link. Governor, let me ask you this. Um, governor DeSantis, this is not a competition. It's not which governor is great. You're doing very well in polls in your state for how you're handling things. Uh, he will be judged by his own voters. But the idea that mistakes were made where you are because you have more deaths for example, or more people hospitalized per 100,000. Is that a fair metric for you? Well, I can only focus on Ohio. Um, You know, Chris, we did this pretty early. We had the Arnold Classic scheduled uh, and and we stopped it. It was the first big decision to stop anything in the country. And and, and we did that. And what I'm seeing now uh, is, is good. Look, we're still losing people. Every life is a is lost is just horrible. But um, we've seen a, not only a flattening now, but a decline that began about a week or so ago uh, in hospitalization. And so uh, it's not going down as fast as we would like, but the hospitalization is in fact going down. And so we're we're happy about yeah. that. Uh, last week we got a we got a huge break uh, in in signing a contract uh, for some real testing. Um, by tomorrow, we'll be up uh, 7,500 a day. Uh, that will double uh, next week. Uh, and we'll end up uh, within about three weeks at 20, 22,000 tests per day, which is a huge jump for us. I mean, that's a huge thing. Right. And now we're also, we're also working with partners in health to, to, to stand up our, our tracing around the state of Ohio. And so we're going to we're going to go after it. I like being off on offense a lot better than on defense. And, and we're very happy about about that. We're starting to open up a little bit, uh, not fast enough, obviously, for 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 a lot of people. But we're trying to do this in a in a reasonable way uh, that gives people confidence that they can go uh, to the businesses and that they will be safe. So this Friday, we start really opening up with our hospitals um, and next week, uh, we, we go into manufacturing that's not already open. Uh, and then on the 12th of May, uh, we, we move to, to retail. We're not yet to uh, restaurants. Uh, we're trying to plot that out and working with folks who run restaurants to see exactly how right. we can do that to keep people protected. But anyway, it's, it's a, it's a kind of layered roll out. And we couldn't have done it, frankly, if we didn't have the, a lot more testing that we now have that capability, which is a, a, a so really let's a talk about thing. that, uh, Governor. You know, rate of increase of testing uh, is important. Uh, but, it, you know, you guys are so far behind. Not your fault. Not anybody's fault. It's just the reality. You know, who cares about the blame? Uh, you just have to uh, hmm. increase the game here. Right. So do you feel confident and tell us why? Uh, the stuff that you're reopening, you'll be able to cover with the amount of testing and tracing, very key component, and why that offsets a concern that 
Uh, you haven't completely met the CDC guidelines. You should be giving it more time. Why do you have confidence that you can do it the way you're doing it this Friday? Well, we're really trying to, we're going to be doing two things. Um, and we have two, there's two big concerns. One, you want to do the tracing. And to get the tracing up so that you can actually trace every single person that you, you know, is tested positive. Um, that's a big that's a big deal. We've not been able to to do that to nearly the extent that we want to do it with more testing. We're going to be able to reach more of these individuals and then go fi go find out who they were in, in contact with and try to you know isolate that be be on the offense. So we feel you know, good about that. It's a, it certainly is a work in progress. We're not there yet, but mm -hmm. it, it is a work in progress. The, you know, we're doing the rollout. I mean, I've been watching numbers, good numbers as far as hospitalization for, you know, 10 days or so, really good. Um, and, you know, it's going down. And so, you know, that's movement in the right direction. And we now have it's a definitely movement in the right for, direction. For but CDC wants two weeks. Mm -hmm. They want you two weeks of down. You don't have two weeks of down. Do you believe that well, that is just a well, guideline that you have a better metric? No, I, look, I, I think, you know, if we're 10 days now, by the time we open much of anything, we're going to be o over two weeks. I mean, all we're doing this Friday, everybody says May 1, but the only thing we're doing on Friday is hospitals. And that's really getting people starting to get people caught up on, on medical procedures that, you know, it would have been good if they had had before. Yeah. We're not going up until May, May 4th. We're not going up till May 4th until we even open manufacturing and May 12th. Right. That's why I'm not chasing uh, you. You know, that's a couple way. weeks. I don't think it's fair to chase you about hospitals um, because they have their own protocols and things. And look, we've gotten to know each other in this now. I'm not going to come at you unfairly. I understand how difficult the balance is here. Uh, people are so anxious to reopen in every possible way. It's hard to hold it back and be reasoned. Well, You've done a good job there by everybody's assessment. Let me ask you about something that's getting some temperature sure. because you're not opening up fast enough for some people. You're opening up too fast for other people. Tough spot, that's leadership. You wanted the job. Uh, the idea of masks in the yeah, retail sure. sector. Um, you say it's not mm -hmm. gonna be mandatory. You should wear masks when you're around, you advise, but when you go in the store, you don't have to wear them. Why does that matter? Well, here's what we did. We put a working group together, business group. They came back and they said, all, all the businesses you're opening up, all the ones that actually have already been in place, everybody wears a mask. Uh, not only does every employee wear a mask, but anybody who's coming in into these manufacturing companies, and, and many of them are doing it already, uh, but this makes it complete. So we're very happy about that. The, the issue was on retail. And what we have said is that employees should wear a mask. Um, most grocery stores now are, are doing that anyway. But as we expand mm -hmm. to jewelry stores and other things, we want them to do that. Where we really got the, the, the real pushback, uh, quite candidly, uh, is when we said, look, we, we're going to mandate that a consumer, uh, when you go into a jewelry store, you go into a grocery store, you're going to have to wear a mask. And it was uh, quite candidly, a, a pretty much an explosion. People felt affronted uh, by, by that and felt that, uh, you know, I had people say, look, you don't, you don't trust us. We can make our own decisions. And it was clear, Chris, that that pushback uh, was, was sincere and tough. Uh, and frankly, we thought it might en endanger a lot of the other things that we were trying to do. And mm -hmm. so my hope, my hope, uh, is that everyone wears a mask. Uh, I've said, look, I go out in public, I wear a mask. Um, I've seen I it. advise my family to do that. And th because what this does is 
it protects the workers. And, you know, I had had a lot of family members call me in the last few weeks about grocery stores. Look, I'm, my son's in there. My dad's in there working. I'm mm-hmm. afraid for him. And it just made sense for customers to coming in to wear masks. So I hope, uh, again, I'm, I know I'm talking to a lot of Ohioans, but uh, you have the right to not wear one. But I, I, I hope you do, uh, because it really uh, is is the right thing to do to protect the people who, who are working there and the people who are, right. you know, ser- serving us every single day. Uh, tough balance, tough call. We'll see how it goes. Uh, it's interesting. Thank you for unpacking the dynamic because I want people to understand how this goes. Uh, I'm short on time, but I want to ask you this. So the president uh, was hammering the decision to have mail-in voting. You made a different decision. Have you seen any indication yet that mail-in ballots in any way corrupted your election? Is there any proof of fraud that you've been told by your secretary of state or other precinct uh, officials? Well, I had the secretary of state, Frank LaRose, on on our daily press conference to kind of give a report and tell people they still had until 7.30 tonight. Mm-hmm. That's over with, of course, now, but until 7.30 right. tonight to bring it to the Board of Elections. So, look, we have seen no no, no problem. I'm not aware of any problem that, that Frank has uh, told me about. I don't, I don't see a problem. We're used to doing this in Ohio. I mean, we, we run right. absentee ballots, uh, not exclusively, but people have had the right to, for a long time, to vote for an entire month. Um, absentee. And, and many people have gotten used to it and do it in our boards of election and everybody's used to dealing with it. Governor, thank you very much. These are tough calls. Uh, and like I Thanks, said, Chris. I know you're opening up on Friday, but I'm not going to chase you about the 14 days when you're talking about hospitals. I don't think that's a fair basis of criticism. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how the state goes. You're always welcome here to make the case of what you're doing and how it's working. Thanks, Chris. All right. Now, here's what's not a tough call. You walk into a place, let alone a hospital, that has a mask rule, you better wear one. The vice president wasn't wearing a mask at the Mayo Clinic, like everybody else around him. I don't know if you've seen the picture. He has a rationale. Let's see if that would work for anybody else and if it even makes sense. But that's just the first point. We have a lot of important things to talk about with Dr. Sanjay Gupta next. In a now deleted tweet, the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota wrote it had, quote, informed the vice president of the masking policy prior to his arrival today. Now, you can delete a tweet. You can't delete reality. Take a look. The VP was the only one who chose not to wear a mask. Why not? Here's how he explained it. And when the CDC issued guidelines about wearing a mask, it was their recognition that people that may have the coronavirus uh, could prevent the possibility of conveying uh, the virus to someone else by wearing a mask. And since I, I don't have the coronavirus, I, I thought it'd be a good opportunity for me to be here, to be able to speak to these researchers, these incredible healthcare personnel, and look them in the eye and, and say thank you. Was the mask cover your eyes? Look, you can make an excuse for anything. Uh, but let's bring in Dr. Sanjay Gupta, because this is a teachable moment. Of course, if you're supposed to wear a mask, you should mm. wear a mask. That's not the lesson. If you think you have 100 percent confidence because you tested negative once, twice, three times, Sanjay, isn't the reality that we don't know that you're 100 percent not contagious when you test negative and that that test is only right. as good as the day it's on? 
Yeah, yeah, no question. Uh, but by the way, Chris, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, compliment you on the new do. Looks really good. Brother. The missus, the missus did it. Over here, I could. Did a nice uh, job. You know, yeah. I don't want to say anything because I, you know, I'll get in more trouble. But you know, she did a pretty good job. She used a one I here, think she did a really nice job. And here, she used a two and then a four. She'll probably yell at me down here if I get the numbers wrong. And then here it was an eight, except for here. Because I wanted to leave a little coverage for the power alleys, so she just brushed it down and then cut it with the scissors <laughs> like that. But not bad, right? Wow. Not bad. Really nice, yeah. Thank you, yeah. Sanjay. Our wives Thank have, you. have really hidden talents. Yeah, you're welcome. But no, <laughs> I, mean, I think, I think you make a good point on, uh, she's pretty good. Vice President uh, Pence, I mean, he, sh he should have worn a mask today. I mean, th there's, there's yeah, no question about it. I mean, first of all, it sets a good example. Uh, it's the policy of the hospital. Right. I mean, this is the policy of the hospital. A lot of people get tested. I work in a hospital. I get tested. I still wear a mask. Second of all, I mean, third of all, it's it's you know, it's a hospital in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, that is a time when you wear a mask, right? He's seeing patients over there. There are sick patients. I mean, this is potentially risky. But the two teaching points, Chris, I think you bring up are really important. Number one, when you get a negative test, that is a point in time. That is a point in time that you are mm -hmm. negative. So if he's getting tested periodically, that's, that's great, but you don't really know. You could have another exposure and potentially harbor the virus in your body, have no symptoms, as I think everyone knows. Second point, which is something I don't think we talk about enough, we talk a lot about the tests, but you know, a lot of these tests, even the ones for the virus, Chris, have a 15% false negative rate. You know, so right. you know, this is something that's kind of going to be an increasingly large issue as we move forward. These tests got to work well if we're going to have confidence in putting people in the workforce. 15% false negative rates are really high rate. I mean, what are you saying then to people? You know, you have an 85% chance that this is correct, but maybe maybe you still have the virus. We didn't catch it. That's going to have to be addressed. But also, you know, the vice president realizes that. So um, I hope he's negative. I mean, and he looks like he doesn't have any symptoms, which is God great. Willing. But those are those are teachable points. Yeah. Yeah. God willing, we need our leaders um, healthy. Look, I'm not in the gotcha game. I think it's a waste of time. I think people are turned off by it. But all I'm saying is, look, at some point you got to stop. You got to start being able to take any kind of responsibility for anything that's negative at some point. I mean, this administration has never done a damn thing wrong uh, ever, and they just can't own it. And I guarantee you people will find ways to defend them by attacking me, but they won't own the obvious. But that's politics. Let's move it to the side. Let's talk. I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to muddy you with politics. You're better than that. Let me ask you about uh, what we understand in the data um, now about testing. President says yeah. we're going to be up at five million testing in no time. Uh, how? How? How can you explain that we're going to scale up as fast as he says, even though that wouldn't even be enough? But can we get there that fast? I, I think I'd have a hard time, you know, imagining how that would happen. I mean, let me show you the numbers, Chris, in terms of where we are, where we need to be, and then where we, where we ultimately need to go. Right now, total, okay, 5.5 million tests, 5.8 million tests total. What uh, the White House says they're going to be doing as a result of the plans they released yesterday, about 2% roughly of the country a month, okay, 6 to 7 million tests a month. What this, this new plan from Harvard, the roadmap, says 5 million tests a day by June, and then 20 million tests a day by midsummer. So the White House plan, six to seven million tests a month. Ultimately, we need to be at 20 million a day. So, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a, a whole magnitude of difference here in terms of where, where the goals are being set and where they need to be. And, you know, a lot of things need to come together. If you're going to go from six million to potentially 600 million tests a month, uh, you know, there's all those reagents, the swabs, all the things that we've been talking about, Chris, have to be in place. Maybe there'll be new breakthroughs in testing, which would really help this equation. But this doesn't look like we're planning for what needs to be done right now.
right? And remember, he's not going to do it. The states are going to do it. And they're cash strapped. Right. And it takes manpower. Uh, and the tracing has to go hand in hand with it because every time you get a negative, you got to chase it down. And that's why we're still not talking about tracing. I want to check two more boxes with you before we run out of time. One, antibodies. Sure. What's the latest thinking mm -hmm. on whether or not, uh, you know, you have any cause to celebrate if, God forbid, you get COVID or, and you get through it or you don't even know you had it and you have antibodies? The, the honest answer is we don't know for sure right now in terms of whether or not it's going to give you protection. And if it does, how long or how strong? It, it, many, many people believe, and I think with good reason, that it should behave like other viruses, including other coronaviruses, which means you will get some immunity for some period of time. And that's going to be important. Made the graph, Chris, that I promised you last night just to show you this, Thanks. how the antibodies sort of come about. So, you know, the blue line is your symptoms of your infection. Green line is IgM. People are going to start knowing these terms that they never really thought they'd have to know before. The red line is IgG. But you can see these two antibodies sort of cross over for a period of time. Because I think you said you had both, I think, if, you, if I remember what you yeah. told me yesterday. So you can look yeah, at where the red line and green line sort of meet there. Yeah, a low level of IgM and you have IgG. So you're probably in yeah. that. In, you know, so you, I wouldn't be surprised if you still had some mild symptoms because you're still in that sort of, uh, you know, out of the window of active infection, but still symptomatic a little bit. According to that graph, mm -hmm. everyone's different, obviously. But I just wanted you to see sort of where you probably are in the tra trajectory of your illness, Chris. Very helpful. I, I'll tell you what, we'll talk offline. I had that blood panel done and I'll tell you what, I think you guys are going to learn that this virus is doing all kinds of crazy stuff to us because my blood work is cuckoo. I'll, nobody would understand anyway, and they don't care. But I'll talk to you about it offline because I was okay. my doctor had to like sit me down when she talked about my blood work today. This is going to take a while uh, to get back to where you were before you get this virus. Um, now, let me ask you something else. Meat. Yeah. Uh, this idea mm. of Tyson saying, listen, uh, we got a problem here because we got a lot of workers in tight spaces where it's tough to keep them. The president says, I got this. I'll basically make them essential workers and they have to go back to work. The workers are like, whoa, we can't be kept safe. This is tough. What is the balancing test here? How do you do this right? Well, this is a, this is a really tough one. I mean, because there's, there's something besides just distance here in this equation. And this is something you and I have talked about. By the way, the CDC has a whole set of guidelines now just for this industry. So people should look at this, but you can see how seriously the CDC is trying to take this as well. Problem is you have distance, six feet, but also duration. You know, this is why restaurants are probably uh, potentially problematic because you sit somewhere for an hour or so, potentially in proximity, even if you're physically distant away, it's duration, prolonged contact that seems to be a bit of an issue as well. And that goes back to the meatpacking industry because, you know, people actually next to each other. I watch these videos uh, from Tyson in terms of how things are normally done and people are staying next to each other for hours on end. So mm -hmm. how do you separate people and cut down on that duration and still actually, you know, manufacture at the level you need to manufacture. I don't know. It's, 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 it's really challenging. And people have died, obviously, who work for the company. And that sends a psychological wave through things as well. People are really frightened, uh, understandably, uh, that they might contract the virus there. I mean, Tyson's own numbers had thousands of people being affected by the virus. But this is going to be a tough call. Um, there's going to people are going to be unhappy yeah. no matter what in this situation. But this is really the biggest blow potential potential blow to the food supply chain that we've seen. Uh, this is something we're going to have to watch closely because it is a very tough set of circumstances. Sanjay Gupta, thank you for being the best of us as always. I'll see you soon, buddy.
All right. The president insists we have enough testing to begin reopening America again. Now, by the way, that can't be right. But that answer isn't enough either. The math will tell the story. My next guest says it's going to take tens of billions to properly test and trace. Remember, they're not talking about tracing yet. We have to. It matters as much as the testing, okay? To isolate those who have it and who they may have spread it to. There's a plan for Congress that we're gonna float past you. What do you think about it? Let's see next. All right, so now we're talking testing. Great, because testing is huge. But here's the reality. We will need more testing than anybody is talking about, no matter what numbers they're throwing around on the federal level or they're planning for. We're still nowhere close. Now, here's the other word that you just have to put into your vocabulary on this. Tracing. Why? Because for every positive case you get, what about the people they've been in contact with? Who's going to find them? Those are all potential positive cases. You're not hearing about it. Why? It's another scary thing that this government is shy on, and it takes manpower. And manpower takes money. Now, I know this is uncomfortable for a lot of leaders. That's too bad. You need to be aware. We have to be talking about it. It's going to make a big difference in what our new normal looks like. Okay? So let's bring in former acting administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, Andy Slavitt. Andy, welcome back to Primetime. Thank you for being with us. First of all, uh, supposition number one. Yeah, they're throwing out some impressive numbers about how they want to ramp up testing um, at the federal level and how they'll carry through to the states. The numbers are still nowhere near what experts uh, who are looking at this suggest we'd have to do to have any real sense of how we're doing with this virus in real time. Yeah, I think it's going to be a few months. Uh, and look, even at, even at a few months time, uh, we're not going to be able to test everybody who wants one. We just saw data today which showed that 92% of people who wanted a test uh, were not able to get one. Now, I think that's probably better today than it was then, but it's still nowhere yeah. close to what the president said, which is that everybody who wants a test should be able to get one. And that's, that's what we need to aim for. Right. And look, even if they had the raw number of tests they need, which they don't, uh, that's a disingenuous answer because it's not just about having the test. It's about the things that go along with it. Uh, the reagent and all the different things to apply the test, the labs to process, the manpower to process, you know, all that part. And then you have tracing. Now, you tutored me early on and why nobody was talking about tracing. It's too hard and it was too scary um, for because it's too hard to find the people and it takes a lot of time. And every day that you can't find somebody is another day that they're infecting more people. And it's just better to ignore this. But we can't ignore it anymore, can we? Well, look, I think the hope is that once we get the number of cases under control, that what we've been living through, Chris, and in particularly New York, has been, a, has been a, a, a rabid forest fire. What we want to do, we're not going to get rid of COVID-19, but what we can do is hope that every time we can manage it, we can manage it to little campfires. And we see a little campfire, we can surround it, it doesn't, we put some stones around it, we, we, we water the ground. That's what this is all about. It's about making sure that we have small number of cases and that if I get sick and I find out that I'm sick, that somebody helps me figure out who are all the people that I was in contact with in some sort of systematic way because I don't want them to get sick. 
And mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about here. And so the, we put a proposal together in front of Congress yesterday uh, that we hope they act on that I think is going to help really make Right. It that's up. what I'm reading about while you're talking. So Slavitt and Scott Gottlieb, uh, another big brain who's worked on this on numerous levels, $46.5 billion for tracing and isolating. $12 billion to help expand the contact tracing workforce by 180,000 people. $4.5 billion to use vacant hotels to isolate the people that you wind up tracing and finding out, uh, you know, need to be monitored slash tested. $30 billion over 18 months of income support. $30 billion to offer 18 months of income support, a per-person stipend of 50 bucks a day like jury duty for those self isolating. Um, The political pushback will be, are you crazy? All this money, all this people for what? We'll just test and we're never going to get to zero. You guys are being hypersensitive. This is not a science test. It's not an academic discussion at Harvard. This is reality. Get with it. Well, look, this is why we pulled together, Scott and I pulled together 14 other people including uh, Larry Brilliant, the guy who cured smallpox, including the guy who, who helped prevent AIDS from spreading uh, by doing all the contact tracing, and people from both parties. We talked to Congress. We talked to the White House. Um, we wanted to get their concerns, and, and indeed people have some, some legitimate concerns, and we think we addressed all of them, and fundamentally by saying, look, number one, we will help you in a private, secure way figure out who you've been in contact with so you don't spread this around. Number two, if you need to social, if you need to isolate uh, and you don't have room at home because you don't have a big enough house, you've got a one bedroom apartment, you mm-hmm. live with your grandmother, um, we will put you in a nice hotel space. You can watch Chris Cuomo at night. You can watch two weeks of cable until you're better. And then third is for people who live paycheck to paycheck and their employer is not going to pay them, they're not going to be able to socially, socially isolate. So for those two weeks, those folks really are performing a civil service. They're keeping the rest of us health, healthy. So we thought to pay them over those couple of weeks a small stipend, kind of like jury duty, which is the other kind of like a civil service you're performing. And that way, we think we'll be able to contain this, this virus. And I think with the, uh, with the people who signed this letter and the conversations that we've had, uh, I'm very hopeful that it comes across as a credible, practical solution. It's also a stimulus for the economy. Um, why is it a stimulus for the economy? Well, first of all, I think getting 180,000 people working um, is not well, is not nothing. We'll also put five billion dollars into the hotel and motel industry because they've got a lot of vacant rooms. Um, and then, you know, we'll put some money in people's pockets uh, that that needs to be there. So we think this, but but even more so, Chris, this will help us open up the economy faster because mm-hmm. once you're able to test and trace, you can look around and say, "Hey, wait a minute, I feel safer. I feel like I can go to work." I feel like I may be able to bring my employees back. I feel like maybe I can work again because I know not that there won't be any COVID-19, but if there is any, they'll, they'll be able to find out where it is and who it's impacted. And, and it's a feeling of safety. We need to give back to the people of this country. All right. So let's talk about that last part here, because I think it is the big X factor, which is how will Americans feel with more cases? Uh, I think it's the hardest thing to measure. We were all freaked out when this happened. We didn't want any cases. Everybody uh, stayed home because they didn't want to get sick. I suggest to you, and I want your better take, that's going to fade. And people's appetites for doing what they want to do will overwhelm what is needed to do to keep cases really low. And they'll say, but you know what? I'm okay with it. 
And yeah, I know that there's still more cases. I know cases are coming. I know it's taking longer because we're doing these things, but I want to do these things. And I know some people are dying, um, but I'm okay with it. Fatigue. And the only part I don't like about the fatigue, because I think a society should, you know, have whatever mores the masses suggest, is that it's going to be minorities and people in socioeconomic and tough spots with pre-existing conditions um, that live in impoverished areas who are going to be paying the biggest price. And it's going to be an uneven distribution. But that X factor of fatigue, of concern, is that one of the biggest things to watch? Oh, completely. Look, I think, first of all, it's been it's obviously been very hard on people. It's been hard on everybody. It's either if it's not been hard on you economically or from a health standpoint, it's been hard on you sociologically. Right. I mean, we're used to having our support system around us and we, we haven't had that. On the other hand, I've got to tell you, I could not be more impressed with the way the American public has responded to this threat. I think there has been a unity, a sense of sacrifice. I think, I think quite frankly, lots of lives have been saved. Um, uh, if we, we've, we've spared our hospitals from being overrun by and large. We're giving our scientists mm-hmm. time. And the public really pulled together. I mean, yes, there's, there's protests on TV. And yes, there's all kinds of, of angst. And yes, there's governors opening this and that. But th- there's always gonna be those exceptions. There's been some really reliable polls, including one by the Kaiser Family Foundation, so that 80% of people believe in what they've been doing. Now, I think that will fade over time, Chris. It, it, it has to. Um, people can't keep this up forever. But I have to say, it's been incredibly impressive mm-hmm. and incredibly encouraging. And I think hopefully at least some of that spirit of camaraderie and community uh, will, will last. Right. I mean, look, Andy, first of all, thank you for coming on the show and explaining this. It's provocative what you're talking about, but we have to talk about tracing and isolating. It's as important as the testing. They all go together. We're just not talking about them that much because uh, they create political risk for people. And we're in an environment where our leaders, especially up top, take as little risk as they can. But I say all the time, nobody got it wrong. The American people got it right. They did things that couldn't be predicted in the projections initially. We did better than anyone would have expected. How we will do going forward remains to be seen. But Andy, I love you and thank you. Now, look, everybody knows we've got to do more. Literally, we we are going to have to continue to step up and continue to forbear. But nobody is putting themselves on the line the way our healthcare workers are. And nobody's paying the price the way they are. We just lost a doctor who actually survived her own COVID battle. She then took her own life this weekend. Why? Because that's how hard it is. And that's how many are hurting. The emotional toll, the psychological toll, the mental health toll of this virus attacks every bit as much as the virus attacks us physically. And we're ignoring it. And I don't want to do that tonight. She deserves better. We have her father here tonight. She was in the trenches. He wants to tell her story about what it is that killed her, and what you need to know about how she lived her life. Next. I hope by now you are aware that this virus is attacking our body completely, and that includes our minds, our emotions, every bit as, as it does any other organ and system in the body. Healthcare workers, especially the ones on the front lines, they're feeling this more than most. Distress calls are up. We see it in the data. People are being killed from the mental and emotional toll. It just happened to one of our heroes, 
this past Sunday, Dr. Lorna Breen. Now, the doctor treated COVID patients at New York Presbyterian Hospital. By all accounts, she was well-respected, and by all accounts, she stepped up with the best during the worst of this. She even contracted COVID herself, dealt with it. As soon as she was better, she went back to work. And then after all she did for others, Sunday, she died by suicide. Her father says she was killed by the enemy on the front lines. And I'm sad to say he's right. He is a retired surgeon. His name is Dr. Philip Breen, and he joins us now. Doctor, can you hear me? Can you see me? Yes, indeed, I can. I can hear you very well. Thank you. Doctor, I am very sorry to meet you under these circumstances, and I hope you accept not just my condolences, but my thanks for your uh, daughter in the city where I and so many other millions live for doing the work of keeping so many safe, uh, especially when it came at such a cost to her and to you, her family. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. What do people need to know about who your daughter was and what she was about? Well, uh, she was a doctor every bit of the word that a doctor should be. She uh, put her life on the line to take care of other people. Uh, she was in the trenches, so to speak, right in the front line as people were dying left and right around her. And indeed, as you pointed out, she contracted the virus herself, went home sick, uh, had it proven that she did have the virus, and indeed stayed home for just a little more than a week, which I don't think was enough in hindsight. But uh, she, I think she felt a, an overwhelming sense of wanting to help her colleagues and her friends who were still fighting the good fight. And so she strapped on her harness and took the bit in her mouth and she went back. And uh, she uh, talked to her just before her final 12-hour shift. And uh, during the time she was on that shift, she basically went down in the traces like a horse that had pulled too heavy a load and couldn't go a step further and just went down. And so she went down. Uh, she was retrieved and brought back by her family to Charlottesville, Virginia, where she was hospitalized for a brief period of time, uh, judged well enough to be out on her own, uh, but clearly was not better. And her sisters told me that you could see in her eyes that, that there was something not there. But at any rate, uh, as of Sunday, she uh, took her own life because I think she was tired. And uh, she was the kind of person that uh, somebody has very aptly put it, she was like the fireman who runs into the burning building to save another life and doesn't regard anything about herself. So she has paid now, the price and she has been in the trenches. Doctor, I'm, I can't imagine what it's like for you to have to talk through this uh, about your own child, um, but at least you have the legacy of her commitment following in your footsteps and creating her own path and just so people understand, um, before this experience, was the doctor struggling with anything that was no, known no, to you or the family? All, no, not at all. As a matter of fact, we've talked about it quite a bit before and during it. And we have reviewed the other members of the family and concluded that if we ever were trying to prognosticate about who would be solid, Lorna would have been the very last person 
to have uh, lost her equilibrium, so to speak. She had not one scintilla of any emotional or, or problem of, of stress or anything. She was a very outgoing person. She was a snowboarder. She played the cello in one of the orchestras in town. Uh, she volunteered at a nursing home. Um, she was a salsa dancer. She just did everything. And everybody thought she was really neat, including me. Uh, but when she went, uh, she just ran out of steam completely. And like I say, I, in my mind, it's sort of like a horse trying to pull a heavy load. And she was beaten to the point where she went right down on her knees, right between the reins and with a bit in her mouth and died, and died from the trying to help. Well, of course, you understand all this because you are a clinician, you are a doctor. Uh, but a virus like this, first of all, there's huge unknown. Uh, we don't understand how it affects the body, but the idea that it would affect your emotions and how you feel uh, and your mental health as well as it would your physical health makes complete sense, but we're just not focused on it. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, here's what I make of that. You know, the point is, is that the majority of patients who are dying are dying a pulmonary death. They're basically drowning because their lungs are filled with fluid and a lot of play has been put on that. But uh, increasingly in the literature, and I think when this is all said and done, there's going to be a gathering uh, publication evidence that uh, this virus affects a person's mind as well as their physical being, like their lungs, and that it is has worked on the brains of people who have been sick without us even identifying it to begin with. And uh, Lorna would be an example of somebody who is a poster child for proving that this virus is indeed working on people's minds and psychological equilibrium and really working great havoc. But this, this remains to come into the literature as time goes on. It hasn't really gotten prevalent right now. Doctor, I must say, I really admire uh, your courage and your poise. I know you've seen a lot. I know you're a surgeon. And I also know it's different when it's your own family. So once again, just let me say, I'm not going to belabor this, um, but your daughter, by all accounts, was not just beautiful inside and out, but she lived a beautiful life. And I just yeah. hope you can accept the thanks of people like me and so many whom she helped in this city um, during a time of really profound need. And I hope that is her legacy uh, in a young but very full life. Doctor, I am so sorry for your loss. Thank you very much. I would remiss, but I'd be remiss by not pointing out that even as we speak, there are thousands of people just like her in the front lines doing physical battle with the enemy and getting no recognition, no reward, no nothing for it. So my hat goes off to all these people who are doing their best to do a good job and to take care of their fellow man without question about what they're doing to themselves. Well, it's very magnanimous of you uh, to want others included at a time of your own personal loss. And you are, of course, correct. And uh, there are also too many who suffer in silence uh, about the mental and emotional effects of this virus and other illnesses. And we will make sure that we talk about it much more than we have already. Dr. Breen, please extend my condolences to the family and let me know if there's anything we can do. Very kind of you to say so, and thank you very much. Thank you, sir. And listen, let's just start right now, okay? 
Um, people are suffering in silence. Uh, the doctors, of course, right, were not given enough credit nor support to the people who are fighting this battle for us most acutely. But I want to remind you, if you're taking the toll because of the virus or just because of the experience that we're all living through, it's so traumatic in so many different ways. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is always there. 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Once again tonight, I'll put it out on social media. And look, don't roll your eyes. Don't roll your eyes. It's as real as any manifestation of illness. Mind, body, spirit. It is all vulnerable. Now, let's keep honoring those on the front lines, all right, as an homage, as honoring the loss of Dr. Lorna Breen. How some of our heroes are helping raise the spirits of one another. Next. wanted Don here uh, for this, not just because he's taking over the show right now with CNN Tonight, but he loves a moment like this. Uh, people showing their thank yous to healthcare pros and first responders in New York City, of course, the virus epicenter. But this afternoon, they saluted each other at one hospital. Look at this. Let me tell you what's happening here. The daughter of a veteran wanted to honor all the people at the Long Island State Veterans Home at Stony Brook University in New York uh, this past Saturday. Somebody told me on, on the radio today, I said, you got video? She said, yes. She sent it to me. And that was a beautiful way, Don, not just to honor, you know, the healthcare workers, which we have to do, but our veterans who've been taking a beating in this and going too much of it in silence. We can always make time for the people who are doing good things, and especially, especially our veterans, right? Mm -hmm. And speaking of, yes, you got sir. high and tight. I heard the story behind that haircut, but did, did you wait? You told me you were going to do it, and I heard, I got wind that I somebody got else did it. What happened? Yeah, the, the missus did it. Um, we used the clippers. She did the one here and here. She did a two to a four, and then we brushed this all straight. She <laughs> used the eight this way, but I had her leave it alone here because I needed oh to cover the God. power Chris, alleys. We had an so she hour about, away. I'm going to do a two here. I'm going to do the four here. I'm going to somehow, you told me I got to yeah, get I the clippers scared. from my buddy, and it's a secret <laughs> yeah. overnight mission. I got the clippers, <laughs> but I got scared, and she said, I'll do it. And I said, okay. What I don't like is she wanted to do it with a straight blade, and she wanted to start oh, no, here. no, 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 no. <laughs> Well, that's it. Now I know things are back to normal in the Cuomo home. My, my mom, my mom says she's going to disown me if I cut my hair. She hates it. She's like, "Do not cut your hair off." I'm like, "Oh my god!" I've been wanting Boy, to cut it for let like me tell a, you something. a month now. You owe your mother everything. You look just like her. That is the only reason you're as good looking as you are. <laughs> you she is gorgeous. Is she just didn't give you the eyes. If she had given you the eyes, you would have had to be an actor. It's really bad. She should have given me that voice, right? I'd be on the radio now. Well, then you'd definitely be an actor. You sound like Sam, Sam Elliott. <laughs> Chris. Or Sam Sausage. Talking the fool. <laughs> I pity the fool. Don't be talking about my mom like that. All right, listen, I got to run. I to death. I got, a, I got a lot to go. She loves you, too. I got a lot to cover, so I'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one. Nice I'll haircut. I'll see you, brother. She did a great job. Thanks. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.